0: In the name of God, Most Merciful, Ever Merciful, and may God's Peace and Blessings be upon His Holy Prophet Muhammad and the purified members of His household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad As you remember, we presented a few of the proofs for the existence of God. And then we went from there to talking about some of the attributes of God. So we distinguished between Attributes of essence and attributes of action And we said an attribute of essence whether it's for God or anything An attribute of essence means we're looking at the thing in itself And an attribute of action is when we're looking at the actions The traces the relationship between that thing and other things So in the case of God when we talk about attributes like for instance God's knowledge or God has life, al-hayy. Or Allah subhanahu wa taala has power, qadrat. This is looking at Allah subhanahu wa taala in Himself, and then we can look at Allah subhanahu wa taala as having a relationship with other entities. For instance, when we say Allah subhanahu wa taala creates, He's a creator. To create it means there's a relationship with another entity, so that that entity is created. So that's an attribute of action. There is an action, but we can also say that there is a an entity other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a being other than Allah that is receiving the action. So the three attributes that we talked about until now, one of them was the creatorship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we're not going to repeat what we said. So al-khaliq, al-khaliqiyya, we explained what we mean, and we linked it with the proof of the necessary being. We said if we understand what that proof says, we basically are saying that existence, any existence, must come from the necessary being. And we explain the difference between contingent or possible or dependent or conditioned versus necessary being, right? So in that sense, when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala khaliq, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has creatorship or he creates, it's in the sense of being the first cause or the necessary being. It's the same thing. And then we talked about lordship, rububiyah. And we explained two different kinds of rububiyyah. We said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if He's the true creator of the world, then He cannot create the world and just let it be without giving it any guidance. What kind of God would He be if He created a world and just let things be on their own without providing any way for them to reach their perfection and be what they're supposed to be so we distinguish between two types of lordship two types of rububiyah basically meaning taking care of in that sense and we said there is a legislative rububiyah and a an existential rububiyah and then after rububiyyah or lordship we talked about divinity we talked about uluhiyyah when we say Allah is ilah he has the the attribute of divinity he is divine and we talked about the meaning of divinity being the one who is worthy of worship or the only one being worthy of worship and then we moved to will Allah's will and we explained how there's different meanings to the will of Allah subhanahu wa Ta-A'la. But one way to understand it for us is to say Allah subhanahu wa Ta-A'la wills as in He likes or loves. And we explained that even in the will of Allah subhanahu wa there is a distinction, the same one that we said about lordship, the guidance, different two, two, two different types of guidance. The same thing can be said about the will. There are two different kinds of will. A will that is legislative and a will that is existential. Now today, if we so that we don't repeat too much of what we have said, let's jump into the next attribute. Attributes of action, we're at wisdom. So what is divine wisdom, hikmah? When we say Allah hakeem, Allah has wisdom or is wise. What do we mean by that? Don't forget that when we started talking about the attributes of Allah, we said, there is a certain logic to these attributes. We're not presenting them randomly. So that when you need to talk about any of this, you understand how they fit in with each other. There's a reason why we started from the attributes of essence, we went to the attributes of action, and we're presenting them in a certain order. So now if we want to talk about wisdom, what have we said until now? What other attributes did we talk about? We said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is... A creator he has creatorship he has divinity he has lordship when you look at these attributes and we said those are the minimum of what a believer has to believe in to be a believer in the one god those attributes plus the attributes of essence basically tell us that allah's power is absolutely unlimited infinite absolute when it comes to anything that he's created He controls it in every aspect. So if that is the case, doesn't it mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do as he pleases with his creatures? Of course he can do as he pleases. So then how do we describe what he actually does to his creatures? So this is the link to the attribute of wisdom. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of course has the power to do as he pleases and he has the authority and it would be valid for him because he has created your existence and everything in it and he alone is worthy of worship and he is alone is Lord and he alone is divine so he has every right to do as he pleases but does it mean that he actually does as he pleases or does he still behave in a way that fits certain patterns And the answer is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about himself. He behaves in a way that we would refer to as human beings as wise. So what is this wisdom? What do we mean when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's action is wise? He has wisdom. What does it mean? The simple way to talk about wisdom is just to say that when you look at an entity that has been created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you notice that it has benefits and it is surrounded by benefits benefits for itself and for the rest of creation wherever there are linkages with it this is the simple at the simple level but things are not as simple as that let's put that notion for aside for a moment and think, look at the world we live in the types of things that exist in our world how are they? everything that exists in our world is competing with everything else this is in the type of world that we live in because it is a material world for something as simple as that for something to exist it needs to take up a space. It has volume, and it needs to take up a space. That space that it takes, it's at the expense of everything else. That space that it occupies cannot be occupied by anything else. If we're talking about living creatures, the food that exists is not unlimited. They're competing for a Fixed amount of food a fixed amount of air a fixed amount of water a fixed amount of wealth and money A fixed amount of power Whatever you look at in the world You see that there is competition For the resources that are available And the real reason for this Is that this is the nature of matter Matter Is not infinite It cannot be absolute so anything material is going to have limits, limitations. This is the type of thing it is. Matter is this type of thing. This world that we live in is a world that, where everything is in competition with everything else. And as we said, the simple examples we can give are, for instance, in the living world, in the animal world, in the plant world, but even in inanimate objects. If some space is occupied by a thing, it can't be occupied by anything else. For something to exist in a certain manner, perhaps something else cannot exist in this manner. And anything you look at in the world falls in this kind of pattern. It's a competition. The type of world we live in, everything is in competition. Everything is at the expense of everything else. Okay. Keeping that in mind, there's a second thing that we have to understand about the world, is that everything is connected. We may see the connections, we may not see the connections, but it's a material world where everything is, it's all networked. It's all connected. It's connected in space and it's connected in time. There are dependencies. Why are we saying all of this? Because it's too simple to try to understand. It doesn't work if we try to understand the attribute of hikmah, if we try to understand the attribute of wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by looking at things in themselves. To properly understand what we mean when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has wisdom, we have to look at the whole. We have to look at the big picture. So I can't come and look at one creature one thing, one being, and I say Allah is not wise. You can't look at one entity. You have to look at the big picture. And what role does that entity play in the big picture? And if you know the type of world we live in, the type of world where everything is in competition with each other, then the only alternative left It's not that everything is perfect all the time in an absolute sense. That doesn't work. We can't because we're material. In a material world, this cannot be. So the only other option is to say we have to maximize the profit. It has to be a world in which while things are not perfect in themselves and because they don't live in a vacuum, because they don't exist in a vacuum that is not connected to anything else, Despite all the limitations Given all the limitations Whatever it is, is as perfect as it can be So when we say The creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Is based on wisdom What we mean is that Despite all the limitations That exist in matter That exist in the type of universe That is the case That exists in actuality Everything that exists within it exists in a way where the benefit of the whole is maximized. So it may look like it's a complicated argument how we got here, but I think the the bottom line is clear. We're saying that there is no way for every entity to have maximum perfection in this world because they're all connected. And there's just so much perfection to go around. Because of the type of creatures that we are, we are material creatures. If it was non-material creatures, it would be unlimited. But in the material world, everything has limitations. So it's not about looking at specific creatures and saying, do they have maximum benefit? It's you have to look at the whole and see what role is being played what has been given to every creature? How does it fit into everything around it? How is it connected to everything else before it and that will come after it? What role does it play? What has been given to it to play that role? Has it been given the right tools to play the role it's supposed to play? When you look at all of that, you understand what we mean when we say Allah's action is wise or he acts based on wisdom. A second point that may not be evident but it's important to keep in mind about wisdom is that in the case of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala and a lot of these attributes they're going to be like that. So this applies to a lot of the attributes. But let's talk about wisdom specifically. And this is something we said right at the beginning when we started talking about the attributes. The attributes are not separate, isolated autonomous independent entities what we're talking about is allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and as we said he is one simple entity one simple being no parts he's not compound when we look at the action of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's also a simple action in the words of the quran i don't know what else the quran could have said to make that clear the quran says kun It's as simple, the action of God, the act of God, no matter what act you're thinking about, it is as simple as the word could be. And it is. But when we come to try to understand this, we look at it from different angles. Because we're human beings, and this is how our mind works. We cannot grasp the complexity or the full simplicity of what we see intuitively. Or if we do, we're exceptional geniuses. So what do we do? We look at it from different angles. I can look at the action of God, subhanahu wa ta'ala, as, in this case, I'm going to say, this is khalq. The same action can be looked at as, this is rizq, it's sustenance. The same action can be looked at as rahman mercy the same action can be looked at as wise it depends which angle i want to look at it from but the action itself is the same action so if we go for instance to wisdom and we say allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's actions are wise Do we mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala acts and then there is an additional thing called wisdom that has to be added, another layer that has to be added? No. It's one action. But for us, we add this for us to understand, to better interpret the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to better understand them and understand Him. We look at it from this specific angle. And so we add a layer to the action that we call wisdom which basically tells us that there is a benefit. But the benefit comes automatically from the other attributes of Allah. If we did not, if we were geniuses, these exceptional geniuses, and we understood things intuitively, or we were exceptionally smart, And we really understood what it meant to say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has absolute knowledge, absolute power, absolute life. That he has true creatorship, that he has true divinity, true lordship. If we understood those and we say he creates or he sustains or he is the lord of the world, then the wisdom is implied. By default, that kind of God. His actions are going to always be maximizing the profit or the benefit. But we're adding this so that we make it clear to ourselves, we're making it explicit. So what is this benefit? When we go to the Holy Quran, for instance, sometimes we're told the benefit is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to put human beings to the test. That's one possibility. So the, the benefit comes through the test. The ultimate purpose, as we're saying, so go back to we're saying the wisdom, the attribute of wisdom basically means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't behave based on randomness. There is an order to things. So what is the purpose? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, looks like he's aiming for something. So what is that aim? Some verses of the Qur'an say it's to put you to the test. Some verses of the Qur'an say so that you worship Allah. Some verses of the Qur'an and we can take, we can, if we add the, the narrations, the hadith to these, there's other verses too and there's other narrations too and other reasons. So that we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is another reason. So that we go to Jannah is another reason. So that we reach divine satisfaction is another reason. Are these actually different reasons? Or is it one same reason? So when we say that the divine purpose from the act of creation has all these different possibilities. There's the test. There is worship, there is knowledge, there is Jannah, there is divine satisfaction. And we could add more. There are a few more that we could add. These are obviously not in contradiction with each other. They're not in opposition with each other. In fact, not only are they compatible with each other, they're aligned. There is an order to them. The test The test is so that we see how we go through life. And the act of worship comes after. It already means that you've passed one level of the test. That you actually worship. And the worship is sometimes defined as knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we talked about that. We said the true meaning of divinity is to recognize yourself as being a true servant because he is a true Worthy of worship being a true Ilah. And Imam Sadiq says, Whoever says, La ilaha illallah, al Jannah. Whoever says, mukhlasan, with sincerity, La ilaha, there is no God except God, there is no divinity except Allah, it's a guarantee he will enter paradise. And then he says, But what does it mean, There's a condition here. What's mukhlasan Is that this word prevents him from sinning? You say La ilaha illallah, but you have to actually believe it. You cannot worship something else. And that includes you, that includes the shaitan, that includes your peers, that includes society, that includes everything else. That's a worship. If you're disobeying, that's a form of worship. So, yes, of course, it's easy to say it with your mouth, to say it with your tongue. Yeah, La ilaha illallah. But to what extent are you actually living it? Okay, so this becomes the worship. So this is one level. And then some people, this is what they understand from this world, and this is what they want from this world, is only to get into Jannah. To get away from Naar and to get into Jannah, and that's one level. But other people can actually go beyond that level. And they say, no, I understand what it means, and we talked about that. We said, depending on your level of maturity, You're going to aspire to different things. The child aspires at the most to maybe playing and eating candy. The adult aspires to things that give a lot more pleasure than what the child is dreaming about. Okay, depending on your level of maturity, depending on your level of intellect, and what you understand from what Allah is and what Allah can give you, one person is going to say, I just want to get in heaven. What else can I want? But well, the Qur'an says, Wa akbar, The satisfaction, knowing that Allah is satisfied with you, that's a lot greater than the Jannah. But that's a higher level of people going in the Jannah. The Jannah becomes the secondary thing. They're getting it, you're getting a satisfaction that is completely different. And anyone who has really understood what it means to love in this world knows this. If you really love someone, you're willing to get tortured or sacrificed or, or for that person. Even if it means you're going to be in a situation of discomfort, that's okay. Because there's a greater satisfaction than the comfort that you're getting. You're willing to sacrifice that comfort. How? Why? Because you know there's something bigger. That other thing gives you more pleasure than the comfort. And we can look at even very simple things in our life. Someone who goes to work out. The comfort of sitting at home on your bed, eating potato chips and watching TV, that's a lot more comfort than going to the gym and working out. But you still do it because you get a greater satisfaction. It's not the comfort, it's something else. But it gives you greater satisfaction. And that's why the Quran says, it describes how the righteous and the good will go to heaven. And then it says, what مِنَ Allah it's greater the satisfaction they get from God, the feeling of knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is satisfied with them is even greater. So these things are aligned one and within the other, like Russian puppets, right? They're not in contradiction. When the Quran once says that, The point of your creation is that we created you to test you. We created you so that you worship. We created you so that we see who is going to do what. We created you so that you go to Jannah. These are not in contradiction. They're aligned. They're different steps of the same path. And depending on each one of us, we're going to be looking at a different place. Some people worship to worship. Just to worship. And some people worship because they just want to go to Jannah and it stops there. And some people can aspire to more than that. All of that is within the topic of divine wisdom or the wisdom in the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that God's actions are based on wisdom. The next attribute is the attribute of speech, kalam This attribute we could spend a long time talking about it because it became very politicized in the history of Islam. But we're not going to do that because I don't think it's very relevant to us. So we'll just talk about it for one or two minutes, just so that we understand what happened. And we'll concentrate on the points that are more relevant to us. So what what do we say, what do we mean when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mutakallim? The attribute of kalam, can we say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kalam or not? For us human beings, generally speaking, when we talk about kalam, we're talking about speech. Speech, of course, is going to involve all the organs, all the tools in our bodies that are physically related to the act of speaking. And I'm not going to spend too much time telling you, of course, this does not apply to Allah And we said this is always our first universal principle. You want to understand Allah's attributes, you can look around in the world to see what they mean, but then you have to learn how to remove all the limitations Remove all the imperfections. Remove everything that's material or that's limited about what you see in those attributes in the world so that you can see afterwards, can it apply to Allah or not? So when we look at speech, there's a dimension of it that's easily dismissible. Okay, We can right away say, okay, that part does not apply to Allah. And do we really need to limit speech to the production of Sounds and the hearing of sounds. No, that's all again Limitations, we don't need to put those limitations on speech So what do we mean when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kalam? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Mutakallim. What do we mean by that? All it means is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala communicates and this is a very important point. It may seem simple, one, that he communicates, and two, that he communicates in a way that reveals something about himself or about what he wants from us. So there's a function to this speech. And of course, this goes back to the wisdom that no act does ha- happens without a purpose behind it. And the purpose fits into the big picture, the big ultimate purpose. So in the case of Allah, when we say that there is speech, what do we mean? We mean that there is a communication. One of the reasons why we're talking about these attributes, this whole discussion about attributes. Why are we spending so much time on this? Because anyone who gets into this field, this topic, especially from the scientific world, We said that there are a lot of scientists, a lot of thinkers, a lot of philosophers who believe in God. But the God they believe in falls under a category that is usually referred to as deism, not theism. And the difference is that they believe in a God that is not personal. They believe that God is simply the force that has existed that has created the existence of the world the laws of the world that explains all of its mysteries and so on and so forth but that's different from saying this is a force that knows that you even exist or that cares about you this is where attributes like speech suddenly become very important If I believe in a God that is like the God of Spinoza, where God and the universe are basically one, then of course that God doesn't know that I exist. Of course that God is not going to send me prophets and talk to them so that they talk to me and instruct me and communicate with me and I communicate back and I worship and he hears me and he listens to my prayers. Completely different God. So when we talk about speech, this is the point. We're trying to say the God that we believe in is also the God who has speech, who communicates directly with human beings. Now, some people get caught up in the communicate. Is it talking and is it sounds and is it letters and how are the words formed? This is details. The important thing is that an act of communication is taking place to reveal something that we didn't know. Okay, so that's one point about speech. The second point about speech is that we wanna link it back to the topic of guidance. The point is not just to talk about God in general and to say, does God have speech or not? The point is to understand, did God reveal something? Did God communicate something to human beings, to us, or not. That's what we're trying to get at. So if we say this is a God that does not have speech, everything stops there. If we say this is a God that has speech, that does communicate, then I want to know what that communication was. In what form did it take place? What was said? What was that message? Who was it communicated to? Can I rely on that communication or not? So if you get into that topic about the existence of God, it should eventually lead to these questions. Because if you don't establish this, then how do you jump from, yes, there is an entity called God, to and he wants me to do something like fast 30 days and pray in a certain way. These are not necessarily linked together. You could still believe in a God, but say he's never, he's never, it's not the type of God who communicates with human beings. Because we said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has lordship. Because we said he has creatorship and lordship and divinity. It means that he will not create his creation and just leave it be. So he has to explain to them what he expects of them. He has to give them the tools so that they reach whatever they were supposed to reach. And one of those tools is the communication. It didn't have to be that way. But we live in a world where it is that way. It's not the only means. So we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us other tools. For instance, He gave us reason. He gave us a mind that is capable of distinguishing between right and wrong. He gave us an intuition that recognizes good from evil, beautiful from not beautiful. All human beings know this and lean towards it. All human beings lean towards the good and the perfect and the beautiful. These are human instincts. Those are not random. They were put in us by God so that we behave in a certain way and live in a certain way. But in addition, we were also given more. And those are the communications that we received. So this is the link between communication and the guidance that we talked about when we talked about the Lordship. And we said there are two types of lordships. There is a lordship that is existential and a lordship that is legislative. And the communication falls under the legislative lordship. Okay. Let's push it a bit more. Anything that looks like an act of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can be considered speech. Because it says something, because it reveals something about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But us human beings, often we're stuck. We don't all have the same depth. When we look at the world, we don't all analyze the world to the same depth, the same level. And so we don't read things the same. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he talks about his creations, He does refer to them as, for instance, kalimat. Right? In some verses, it says, if all the trees of the world were to become pens or pencils, and all the seas of the world would become ink, the kalimat of Allah would not end. There would be no end to them. The kalimat is in what? These are the signs of Allah. They're infinite. Or when he talks about Isa alayhi salam and he refers to him and he says, Isa alayhi salam is a kalimah. He's a word. What does that mean? Okay, so this, this is telling us that Allah does communicate, and his communication is through words, but the words are not the words we understand. The word is something more abstract than the one we know which is made of the sounds and the symbols that we write a word is a trace a sign leading you to something else to an author and it tells something about the author it tells you when you read a word what kind of knowledge they have what kind of power they have what kind of wisdom they have so if you look at this creature called jesus and you see how he was created and the miracles that he can do That he can walk on water or bring people back from the dead or cure those who are blind or cure those who have leprosy and so on and so forth. You look at that on its own and you say, this is miraculous. This is incredible. But then the Quran says, he's only a word. He's a sign pointing to an author. The point of this word is to make you realize who the author is. The world is only made of words. That's why a lot of our philosophers and our mystics have said the the world is a book. Just like the Qur'an is a book. When the Qur'an presents itself, it tells us that every part of it, every surah of it is made up of little parts that are ayah, that are signs. But the real world is the same. The Qur'an is telling you every verse is a miracle. Every verse is a sign. Like everything in the world is a miracle or a sign. This is not normal. These are all miracles. These are all signs pointing to something else. Are you seeing it or not? That's the point of the speech. That's why I said there's one layer, one level we can... Keep it very simple, and if we push it a little bit more, we see all of this. Maybe the last thing we can mention in a couple of minutes very quickly about speech is to talk about the the role that it played in Islamic history. So obviously what we're talking about, the field, if we wanted to call it by its classic name, this field of the, the science, the discipline of beliefs in Islam, is often referred to as Ilm mil kalam Right? I don't know if you guys have heard this or not. Ilm al-Kalam The science of Kalam Sometimes it's translated as discursive theology And there are different theories of why the science of beliefs So the existence of God the necessity of prophets and religion, the afterlife, all of these are beliefs, not actions. There are different theories of why this field is called Kalam or Ilm Al-Kalam. And we're not going to go into all of them. One of the reasons why scholars say this field was called Ilm Al-Kalam is specifically because of this attribute, the attribute of Kalam. From all the attributes of Allah, this one became the one after which the entire discipline was called. Why? Because of the issues that it raised early in Islam. So some Muslims believed and it was linked right away to the Quran. But in general, they believed that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala's speech is eternal. Those are the Ashara, a group of Muslims. Sunnis, al and specifically from a fiqhi point of view, Al-Hanabila. Those who were followers of Ahmad ibn Hanbal. They believed that the speech, the divine speech is eternal. Therefore, the Qur'an is eternal and uncreated. Opposed to them, there was another group, Al-Mu'tazila. Al-Ash'ara want to follow scriptural everything. The Qur'an says, the hadith says, we follow it. The Mu'tazila want to rely on reason in everything. So they said no. The Quran and divine speech are created. Allah creates speech when he wants to communicate, he creates the communication. Generally speaking, the Imamiyyah, the Shia scholars were with the Mu'tazila here. They said the Quran is created. The speech, the divine speech is created. It's an act of communication that is created when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to communicate. What happened is that the politicians in the time of the Abbasiyeen in the time after Imam al-Sadiq, Imam al-Baqir, after Imam al-Baqir, Imam al-Sadiq, Imam al-Kabib, this is when this started happening all the way to Imam al-Askari. This was a gigantic issue in the Islamic world. So the politicians, the Khalifa of the time, decided to take a position And he joined one group at the expense of the others, and whoever disputed what the Khalifa believed in were gonna be killed. And this lasted for a good century and a half, after which the other Khalifa came and he took the opposite position, and whoever disagreed was going to be killed. And he is considered Kafir for something as secondary as is speech created or not created, as if it makes a difference in people's lives. So the point here is not to say, you know, to spend time explaining what happened and how it was politicized. For us, the important thing is to realize that how easy it is for the state, for politicians, to use religion for non-religious purposes. If people are following blindly, They don't understand the bigger game being played and they think it's all about these little secondary matters. Then you see that people are killing each other over them when really it has nothing to do with your humanity, with your beliefs, with your anything that really matters to anything that you're going through in your practical, and your daily lives. Everything stops there. And yet it became a gigantic issue in Islam that lasted centuries. Around which thousands upon thousands were killed and murdered and at the end today it's not a it's a non-issue It doesn't mean anything. No two Muslims are gonna spend ten hours of their life You know debating this to see is it created or not created? And the answer of course is that as we said communication is created Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala communicates when he needs to communicate where he wants to communicate, when he wants to reveal something. And the communication can be of different forms. So that communication can be a direct revelation in your heart. Right? As we have verses of the Quran, for instance, not very clear, it seems, but it looks like the mother of Musa, wa ila Musa. We revealed to her. How was it revealed to her? A lot of our scholars say she felt it. She knew what she had to do. So it's a direct revelation. Others, an angel comes to them. And there are verses of the Quran that describe these. Or min warai hijab. There's a a layer, a veil. For instance, when Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la spoke to Musa alayhi salam through the tree. As though the tree is talking. Right? But it's not the tree talking. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la made a sound come out of the tree. The tree is not talking. And this is not the sound of Allah. This is a, a created sound so that Musa understands the communication This is all a creation. The Holy Quran is a creation. It was revealed at a point in time to the Holy Prophet so that we understand it, communicate it to us. The last attribute is the attribute of truth. When we say something is truth or truthful, we're usually not talking about something that is, for instance, a performative they say. So it's not a, if I tell you bring me water, it's not truth or not truth. But if I inform you about something, it can be true or not true. So when we just finish the attribute of speech, the next point we have to resolve is is all the speech of Allah truthful or not? And again, the first layer, the first point that we have to get out of, get rid of right away, is that can Allah... Does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have to be truthful? No, He doesn't. Does He have absolute power? Yes. If we say that He's truthful, does it mean that we're limiting His power? No. Then what does it mean? Justice. And we haven't talked about justice yet. But we did talk when we said about Divine Wisdom, which is directly related to Divine Justice. We did say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us the patterns through which He works. He's revealed those to us. And we'll explain why those patterns are the way they are very soon, inshaAllah. Truth is one of the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explicitly said about Himself. Who is more truthful in speech than Allah? Okay, so it's not that only Allah speaks, Allah mu'sa There is speech. Allah has words, He communicates. And the communication is the most truthful of communications. Why is that important? First of all, the easy one, it has to be compatible with the other attributes. If we say that Allah is not truthful, we need a reason. Why would Allah not be truthful? If we gave him all these attributes of perfection until now, if we understand that he has no need, he's, not, he's unchanged, unconditioned, un- Affected by anything outside of him Why would he need to be unjust for instance as we'll talk about or a smaller form of that? Why would he need to be untruthful? Okay, so that's the easy layer The next layer that or the, the, the other point that is important to us is that if we don't establish the truthfulness of the communication then we cannot rely on it for our religious knowledge. And so the entire, this is going to to open to us an entire type of religious proofs that we have not touched until now, but now we're going to open the door to it, which is the devotional proofs, which is the scriptural proofs. If we establish that there is a God and that he has so-and-so attributes, And one of his attributes is that he communicates. And one of the attributes of that communication is that it's truthful. Then if I have something that I can show is the communication of Allah. And that it is truthful. That's it. I can rely on it to go live my life according to that communication. And that just opened the door. In addition to the rational proofs. That we have been talking about until now. This is going to allow us to start talking about devotional proofs. Proofs that I can rely on coming from religion because they're scriptural so long as I know this is a divine communication. (laughs) So long as I know this is coming from God because God does communicate and his communication is truthful. So now I can rely on that communication to go pray and fast and not drink wine and so on and so forth. So this is the importance of the truth that goes back to the communication. Communication is important because we believe in a personal God who cares about human beings, who communicates with them, who guides them personally and so on and so forth. Wa ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa